Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Nathaniel Garrett Novosil. Nathaniel is a professional researcher and advisor with over 20 years of experience studying individual and group behavior. Over that time, he has researched psychology, evolutionary biology, organizational best practices, leadership, decision-making, business, technology, finance, and philosophy to understand how the world as we know it works and why. Nathaniel spent much of his career using the insights from his research to help the world's leading executives solve their most pressing organizational challenges and create their strategic plans. Noticing the common drivers of success in all areas of life, he decided to devote his research, problem solving, and advisory skills to help people live the best lives possible. And at some point in our lives, many of us ask the question, what's the meaning of life? Well, my next guest spent 20 years researching that exact question and came up with some very interesting answers. If you're wondering what the heck you're doing here, why you're here, and what's the meaning of it all, you're going to love this conversation. Here's Nathaniel. Okay, everybody, we're with Nathaniel Garrett Novosel, and we're going to be talking about how to go from abandonment to the meaning of life. So it's a pretty big topic. Buckle up. We have a lot to cover. Welcome, Nathaniel. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't come up with something like that unless you've been through something. And that's what gives you that sort of perspective. So where are we coming from with all of this? Where did it start? Yeah, it's a, it's a long story, but the short version is that my father disappeared in the middle of the night when I was five. Now, I actually don't remember what happened or how I reacted to that, but I do remember that he reached out about six months later and wanted to, to see me. And so uh, we arranged the following year for me to go out for three weeks and two days. I'll never forget that uh, amount of time. And uh, I, I cried because I'd never been away from my mother before when I went there. But when I came back, I felt a hopelessness, an emptiness, uh, a loneliness, a, a worthlessness, just a void that I would never wish upon anyone, my worst enemy. If they you know, killed my whole family and they did all that stuff, I still wouldn't wish what I felt on them. <laughs> And, and I'm and, going to stop you there before you yeah. even go any further. Please. You're saying this as a five-year-old, you felt, you felt those feelings. And how did you, how did you process that? What did you, what did you make of that experience? What did you say about, and, and what did your mom say to you about your, your dad leaving? Like, what, what, what happened? Uh, well, <laughs> my mother was a saint about it. She uh, just said, you know, very, very kindly, just like, well, you know, he wanted to be there and he, he she never said a bad thing about him my own, my whole life. Uh, <laughs> Um, but, uh, she was very, she's a very, very good person. Uh, now me, uh, a little bit of background on me. I, it turns out I was, I, I went to a psychologist finally uh, a little bit ago and found out that I'm probably highly, f uh, functional autistic, uh, like mm -hmm. a, a ASD or, or Asperger's if you'd prefer. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it explains a lot. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the, uh, there, I, I jokingly call it the robot brain, like, like the part of my brain that's like just cold, like a Vulcan and just no emotion. Mm -hmm. So I have one part of me and I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm crying. And I don't understand why, because my, my robot brain is just sitting there going, why are you upset? Like he's there, you're here, 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's that's the way it is. So who cares? Like, it, <laughs> so this is these two parts of me. Yeah. Um, so what happened was um, in the middle in, in, in that night when I came back, and I was I was six at the time at that after that trip, and and I can actually recall that pain. But the uh, my, my brain was weird. Like I was crying, 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 go, what is the point of all this? Why, you know, this is, I feel miserable. I hate everything. I want to die. Like it was just really, really dark. And, but then there's a part of my brain going, that's a fascinating question. What's the point of it? The meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? I wonder if you could answer that question. And so I spent 20 years uh, researching uh, psychology, philosophy, human behavior, business, evolutionary biology, trying to answer that question because I thought, you know, I was crazy enough to think it could be answered. And, and I want to get to that, but I still want to go back to that five-year-old who, yeah. so now you don't understand why, why your father just left mm-hmm. and now you're getting ready to go see him. So was it excitement? Was it confusion? What were the emotions in going there? And, and, and then what was that period of time like with him? I mean, I just clarified a little bit more. I just want to make sure we Sure. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sorry. The one thing I don't remember is I don't remember how I felt when I was five, because that's when your memories are starting to form. So I don't remember exactly how I felt. But I do remember when I was going to see him, I was, yeah, I was still five at the time, I think, or maybe I was six. And so I remember being excited to see him because I hadn't seen him in a while. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think I might have been kind of naive. Right. And just thought, oh, he's, he's there and, you know, no big deal, whatever. And uh, said, so, yeah, well, I'll go see him. So uh, I went and saw him and it was a lot of fun and, and everything was great other than the, when I was sad on the plane ride, uh, missing my mom. But other than that, it was fine. Uh, yeah, I, so everything was great, but I, I just couldn't comprehend the, like, the pain and emptiness I would feel when my father was ripped away from me again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was the, I mean, you talk about betrayal, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I would call it that. I mean, that's what it was, but that's not how I would have interpreted it at the time. I would just interpreted it as um, a sense of worthlessness and loss. And that was like, you know, I don't like, oh, my father's not here. And, you know, one part saying, well, that's the way it is. And that's where he wants to be. But then, you know, there's a part of you inside knowing for a fact that it's like, well, he picked living somewhere else with some other person mm-hmm. over being with me. And I think that's, you know, what am I worth? I think that's the thing that, that really got me there. And, and it's so interesting because here in, again, and we see this all the time, where someone else's actions cause us to feel unworthy. And it has nothing to do with us, but we completely take it on as if it's all about us. So it's interesting how you, you move towards research to answer your questions. I mean, that's exactly what I did after my betrayal. I mean, I enrolled in a PhD program, not maybe what people would do, right? Fresh out of a betrayal. But I, again, I, I was just desperate to understand. And it gave me those, those deep answers that I, that I had to questions that I had had. What, talk about why did you dive into the research that you did? What were the answers you were looking for? Was it to just get you out of pain? I mean, what was, what was behind it? Yeah, so there were three major things. The first one was what I described, which is like, what's the point of it all if we're going to feel like miserable or suffer, if you prefer the suffering term. Uh, That was one. Um, The second was true... Uh, curiosity. I, I I have this thing after after 37 years, I can tell you that the thing I love most in this world, it feels like winning the Super Bowl, is coming up with like a new insight or some coming up with some sort of new thought or idea or thing. Like that was what always got excited me, got me excited in school when, oh, someone invented this thing. Wow, they invented, how they invented? Like, 
five minutes before, no one knew this was a thing. Five minutes later, you know, everyone knew it was a thing or, or, or Galileo, like no one, no one believed you for a while. <laughs> um, so that's the second thing. But then um, the third thing is, is my fascination with human behavior. Again, mm. this kind of goes back. That's why I mentioned the Asperger's thing. I always have to mention it just because I have a different view of human behavior than other people. Um, the number one thing you'll hear from someone who has Asperger's is they feel like an alien mm -hmm. because they don't act in the same way that other people do. They don't process things the way that other people do. They look mm -hmm. things, you know, completely different way and they don't seem to fit in ever. And I never really, you know, fit in uh, with, with people. I, I, you know, I, I could kind of get along with anyone if I could just adapt and, and I would do, I study their behavior and try to, to, to mirror it or mimic it because mm -hmm. I knew I didn't really have any, you know, of these traits to do myself. Cause I'm just kind of like a, you know, regular, like, I, I don't know, like just kind of like a robot or whatever. So <laughs> or an alien. So I'm, I'm trying to mimic things. So I could kind of get, get away with being in different groups. I was in uh, orchestra. I was in football. I, I was one of those smart kids. Like I was able to do all those things because I didn't really have fit into a group. So mm -hmm. I could kind of do any, anything I, I felt like, which is cool. But uh, the, it was that passion in studying human behavior to understand it and master it. So I could effectively, you know, act in a society that was really the third piece that was driving. Right. So what were some things that you, that, that you studied and then put into action and then you saw a change in your behavior and in the people around you? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so there were, there are a few things there, there's like how to, how to behave in ways that, um, you know, get, you to to be part of the group or fit in with it. Um, one of the things I, I someone's the Asperger's, I have problems with eye contact. I notice that when you don't give people eye contact, they treat you differently. They either think mm -hmm. you're lying or they, they they don't connect with you. Mm -hmm. So it's like okay, I got to learn how to do that. Uh, <laughs> so was it um, a conscious thing, like where you said, okay, I'm meeting with someone now. Let me look into their eyes. Like, yeah, yes. Okay. <laughs> because yeah. I have, you know, a lot of people when they when they look at people in the eye and they connect with them and then when they look away, it's like a way to like gather their thoughts or something like that or whatever. But like like for me, if I'm looking or actually let me rephrase that. Um, people think that you're being honest and truthful and open and connecting when you're looking at them and then when you're mm -hmm. looking away, it's like you're being you know deceptive or something. I'm the opposite. If I'm looking people in the eye, I have no idea what you're saying. I have no idea I can't think. Like I can't do it. So I'm looking people in the eye for the sole purpose of them feeling connected. And then oh, I look away wow. to gather my thoughts and know what I'm saying. Right. And then I, it's like holding your breath. It's like, yeah. like take a deep breath, look somewhere else, gather my thoughts, look people in the eye. And then I'm holding my breath and I'm barely able to function. And I'm just saying whatever it is I, I thought of to say. It's, it's really hard. That's really interesting. And it's so it's interesting, too, because I noticed uh, because I, I do video all the time and I'm and I see myself on video sometimes and I am totally looking away. And that's how I think. Yeah. And I, so I, I totally get that. So like right now, as you and I are looking at each other, are, is there anything, are you, are you getting any sort of, uh, feeling any, any sort of like, what's, what's going on? Is it just like, I'm just doing this for her sake? I'm just totally curious. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's training, uh, yeah. because usually with my conversations, if I were doing it in a completely natural way and trying to focus strictly on what someone's saying and all that jazz, I mean, you can even see me now I'm looking like this way, right. like I'd be looking that way the whole time or be looking down or doing something. So yeah. I'm staring into the, to the camera to, um, emulate, <laughs> that's right. probably the wrong word, but emulate eye contact. is just a means to that, uh, because I know that other people 
will feel more connected to what I'm saying if I do it that way. But I do have to take a breath every once in a while and look away to really right. form the thoughts appropriately so that I can be coherent. <laughs> so interesting. Okay, so so that was one part of your research. Yeah. What else did you, because I know you said you were trying to sort yeah. of heal from some of these emotions. What What other types of research did you do and what did it lead to? Yeah, so there were a lot of different things. I, 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 my, my favorite, probably my favorite was why do people behave the way that they do? And then you can learn why they do things and then you can figure out on your own, well, okay, so, so two things. One is if you're trying, again, emulate uh, the group behavior, your mm -hmm. goal is, well, they're doing it because of this. So if, if, if they, if you have your why should be similar and then you should act in this way. So that was one thing. But the uh, other thing was, is I truly just wanted to understand, I, I love understanding things. So I really wanted to understand just everything I could possibly understand about how the world works, how human behavior, why people do things, uh, mm -hmm. different things. I just, I just, I'm super interested in it. And what happened after 20 years of research is I finally said, I asked myself, I said, okay, well, you've been studying this forever. You have to have some sort of opinion on it. If you were to explain this to someone else, what would you do? And how would you explain it to them? Because you, you, you can't just explain 20 years of research. <laughs> You'd have to like summarize it. Yeah. So uh, I thought, well, there are, there are concepts that um, every philosophy has. And they're actually, uh, it came from this idea that like I, I kind of had in my head, because I'm, again, spe speaking into my naivete, uh, I, I, I asked myself, like, what if everyone was right? Like, like everyone just said, oh, this is right, everyone else is wrong. It's like, nah, I don't believe that. Everyone's right, or at least they think they're right. So let's give them that credit. Um, are there, are they really right? Is everyone really right? And, and what would they be right about? And then that's when it came to me a set of, it ended up being eight. It wasn't eight at first. I, mm -hmm. I had like four or something and then, then seven. And then my wife uh, kicked in with the eighth one. <laughs> um, but there were eight concepts that were universal to all philosophies, all religions, and it could be proven by science as to leading to someone feeling that they had meaning in life. And wow. that was the breakthrough that led to, I spent seven years writing it. Um, I rewrote it, rewrote it, rewrote it, but it's what led to the book. Uh, it's called The Meaning of Life, A Guide to Finding Your Life's Purpose. I love that. So can you share with us what those eight concepts are? Yeah, uh, I'll try to be brief and then give you a chance to <laughs> jump in. Um, so uh, the, there are eight concepts that underline all these philosophies. Uh, the meaning of life is growth. Uh, every living organism on earth exists to grow, period, full stop. You grow through experience. Experience is the medium through which all growth occurs. Mm -hmm. Desire is the trigger or drive that you have inside to have the experiences that lead to growth. Mm -hmm. Belief or beliefs are basically your ability to sustain that drive toward achieving your outcome or achieving that growth. Mm -hmm. um, it could either sustain you through adversity or it could squash your desire if you have negative beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, the fifth one, I think it's the fifth one, well, uh, emotions. Uh, well, Sorry, if, so if we go, so one is yeah. that growth is growth. It's all about growth. Growth yes. is just Growth is the meaning of life. That is the meaning of life. Okay. Yeah, if you define meaning as either the definition, the purpose, or the significance, those are the three definitions when it comes to life. Mm -hmm. It is part of the definition of life is that life grows, not, nothing else in the universe self-replicates, right? Right. Uh, it is its purpose because that's what it exists to do. Mm -hmm. And then uh, significance, when you think about what is significance, uh, all the people who achieve the greatest things are the ones who grew the most. So uh, beautiful. It, it's okay, all three. So growth. So the, okay, and number two. I'm going to stop you after each one because they're please. so interesting. Yeah. Please. 
So number number two then. Uh, yeah. So experience. experience. Um, so all uh, it's funny. I think Einstein and much other people said this, but. Um, experience is where all knowledge is attained experience is all how all growth occurs um, experience is um, any uh, activity or event occurring over a period of time right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so like if you go go for a run and then your body you know recovers and then you're ready to go for a, a greater run next time but you have to have the experience of running in order to be better at running the next time like that's the experience necessary for growth and it's so true because you could you could read a ton of books on running but until you're out there running you don't really have that experience and how do you really understand it you know yeah, well, well that's what's cool is that experience the actual experience of running is one thing but the experience of learning about running is another experience it, it may not be as fully of an experience because you're not having all senses engaged and all that jazz but you can go and learn about running and then be better at running than you would have if you had no running at all and then ran for the first time i see okay what's three uh, three is desire. So it's okay. the driving force for life. Uh, so desire is requires three things. Uh, it's the um, uh, uh, it's the lack of something. You have to have a lack of something, uh, and, and you have to want something. Sorry, let me rephrase that. You have to want something. You have like there has to be an outcome, some sort of desired future state that's better where you, than where you are. There has to be a lack. You have to have something that would if you attained it, you would therefore be able to, to, to achieve it. And then of course you would have to then be driven to, to take an action to, to, to get there. So those are, are the components of desire. What's cool about that is that um, you wouldn't think about it, but all living organisms have some mechanism, some drive, right. Of mm -hmm. even like single cell organisms. What happens is, is that, um, and they've done studies on this where uh, like amoeba, for, for example, or amoeba, I guess is the plural. Uh, it would be that uh, they could have two food sources mm -hmm. um, and it would be driven. It would be able to sense the two food food sources sees to see which one has the more optimal ratio of, of nutrients. And then it will go and be driven to go to the one with the optimal ratio. Even an amoeba. Yep. How cool is that? Okay. Yeah. What's number four? Uh, four is belief. Um, so this is an interesting one. Um, and, and I'm going to uh, push everybody here a little bit on both sides. Cause I, I, I think this book is good for atheists and for, for uh, theists uh, alike. Um, and, and this is the one that, that either people are like so down with or, or they're like, hey, wait a second. Um, uh, so a, a, an atheist or skeptic would say, well, you know, there, you know, there's knowledge and then there's, you know, assumptions, right, that you make. And, and that's true. Um, but basically anything you don't know for a fact. So anything you're not observing in a current point, uh, current point in time is a belief. Like, did you leave the stove on? It's mm -hmm. like you, you believe you didn't, but someone could have walked over and turned it on while you were gone. So like you don't know that for a fact unless you're, unless you're observing it in the point in time. Right. So everything, literally everything that you are not currently observing at this current point in time is a belief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, the, the interesting thing about beliefs and the thing that um, I, I always kind of like prod uh, people on the skeptical side is that basically, uh, I like I, I'm 37. Will I live to 39? I don't know. It's never been proven. There's never been someone like me right, <laughs> to live to right. that long. So I could die tomorrow. You don't know. But I, right. I, I, if I were, if I believed that I was going to die tomorrow, I'd be acting a lot differently. Let's put it that way. So, so you can cl clearly show that you act in, in everything in your life with a set of beliefs. And so the, the point of finding meaning is you have to have beliefs that align with your desires uh, and you have to believe in your ability to attain those growth outcomes in order to truly strive for them or else you won't do it. That's the so point I, I love that you're bringing up beliefs because they draw, it seems like they drive 
behavior completely. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really the motor that, that gets everything running. And if you're coming from this whole you know, negative belief stack mm-hmm. and you're just using one negative belief after another and that's what's driving your thoughts, behaviors, actions, well, how could you possibly have a good life? You know, yep. and it, it seems like it's really worth uh, delving into and looking at. So beliefs are huge. Okay, yeah. what's five? Yeah, and so, so okay. um, oh yeah, just the final thought on that is that, yeah. so on one one hand, you have to have beliefs. And so so people who say, well, I don't believe anything that's not true. It's like, yeah, you do. You, you believe things that aren't true. Right. Like if you believe you're going to live tomorrow, you don't know that for a fact. So you are believing it. So yeah, I kind of prod that. But then on the other side, um, uh, you do have to, your beliefs have to be close enough to reality so that they're realistic in the sense that you, um, uh, that they're actually believable for you. So mm-hmm. you can't like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, be a millionaire tomorrow. It's like, well, you, you don't, you can't truly believe that because of how big of a gap there is. Now it could happen. You can get the lottery and be a millionaire mm-hmm. tomorrow. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but you, you, your beliefs have to be somewhat grounded in reality. You can't just flap your arms and fly. So okay. there's a little bit of imbalance there. Right. Okay. Beautiful. What's five. Five is emotions. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, I actually uh, I was going to talk about a little bit about this later with regards to betrayal. But the thing that's cool about emotions is emotions can be uh, calculated via formula. And uh, that's oh, one I of my biggest know- findings. Yeah, let's talk I, about that. I'm one of the most in touch person with my emotions because, uh-huh. you know, the trauma and all that jazz. But uh, the reason why I was able to dissect it is I finally I, I cracked the code on it. it is a formula that says certain is math. Emotions equal three things, desire mm-hmm. plus belief plus experience. And that applies to anything. Any emotion can be broken down into those three components. Most self-help people focus on the beliefs, right? Oh, you have mm-hmm. negative beliefs. That's what's causing, but it's all three of those things. Mm-hmm. So let's take an example. My favorite one is jealousy just because mm-hmm. it's so easy, right? Uh, so desire, what do you desire? You desire a person or thing. So that's the desire. Everyone knows that, right? So that's the first part of jealousy. But that's not the only part, right? Then there's a belief, right? So you believe generally two things when you're jealous, right? You believe that you deserve to have that thing and that the person who has that thing or person uh, doesn't deserve it. <laughs> Those are the okay. two components. Those are the two beliefs, right? Yeah. And then the third thing is the experience is that you're seeing the person with that person or thing. Okay. And with those three things together, you get jealous. Right. Now, here's the secret. If any of those changes, you won't feel jealous anymore. It's, it's, it's like, I know it's like, oh, how could that be? Well, think about it. One belief changes. If you change that belief from you don't believe that that person deserves that thing or person to mm-hmm. they do deserve that thing and that person, then you switch from jealousy to admiration. Oh, wow. So right. any emotion can be broken down to those three components. And I've used that my entire life to, well, not my entire life, since I figured it out. <laughs> um, since then, I've... Um, use that to dissect any emotion I've had. And, and, and it's you, so great. Yeah. And what I love about that is people who are struggling with healing from a betrayal, which is yeah. who this you know, audience is, uh, if they just tweaked, let's say the belief around it or the, uh, or the experience or the, what was it? The, the third thing, the belief, the experience. Or the desire. Or yeah. the desire, right? I just yeah. can't read my own writing. That's what that is. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Then, then they can, they can yeah. change that, which, well, is, which is wonderful. So let's take the betrayed feeling or right. emotion. So those are three things. And I'm going to genericize. There are, other, there are mm-hmm. a lot of beliefs and desires people can have, but let's just right. take a generic one. So you desire a person. Uh, generally, you want, to, you want their love. You want their acceptance. You mm-hmm. want uh, you know, all those great things. You believe you have their loyalty and their devotion and your and their and and their admiration and all those great things, and then you have an experience that they that hits you in the you know gut punch right mm-hmm. where they 
they just completely just just stamp all over those desires and beliefs and crush mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And that's why you feel betrayed is because mm. you had these desires and beliefs and then you had this experience that completely made you wonder, you know, up and up is down, left is right and that kind of thing. Right. So then let me ask you, out of all of those things, if, if someone were to find their way out of a paper bag here because we were just in this horrific situation, what would be the first one of those things that, that you would suggest they look at in order to change how they view the experience? Yeah, that, that is a, a wonderful question. The thing that I would recommend, I, I thought about this because in preparation for this, I was like, oh man, what would you change? Because it, it, it sounds almost kind of flippant to say, well, you can just change one of those three things. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, you can change any of those three things. Probably the easiest one is to change your experience, like get away from whatever it is. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like if a person betrayed you, like try to avoid them, like mm-hmm. just try to get out of that because it's only going to make things worse, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. But um, your uh, the, the number one belief you can hold is that um, this is going to sound cliche, but kind of like this, like all things happen for a reason kind of belief. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But let me rephrase that since that's too cliche. It's, you know, what can I learn from this experience or take away from this experience that's going to help me be a better person in the future? Mm. Um, Because if you just say, because the easiest belief to hold is just, well, uh, I'm not lovable, right? You know, that's the easiest belief to just change right away. And mm-hmm. then that, then you, then you go away from feeling betrayed to feeling you deserved it. Right. Mm-hmm. And self-blame and all this other stuff. And, and that's not good. Um, but, but it, it could happen um, and you can do it uh, and it will eliminate the, the betrayal feeling uh, because you'll, then you'll feel worthless, but, um, but that's not what you want. Right. So um, I would recommend trying to figure out, okay, so, you know, uh, think about, you know, maybe think about with empathy or compassion for yourself and the other person. So, okay, well, maybe this person was afraid or maybe this person was angry or maybe this person was in a certain state. So they acted in a way that was absolutely, you know, uh, uh, horrid to me, but, um, you know, I, I, I can accept the fact that they, that they did this. And, uh, if, if they're not willing to apologize or if, if, if it's, you know, what do you call it? If it's reconcilable relationship, then you just have to like, I believe that, that that happened and that's that, and I have to move on. So like, mm. those are kinds of, of beliefs that you can have. The other one desire, that's probably harder because, um, I don't want to tell someone, well, once someone betrays you, then, you know, you can change your desire to wanting to get revenge on them or changing your desire to wanting someone else immediately or something yeah. like that. That's that rings kind of hollow. You could do that, but um, I feel like that's a little extreme and you probably don't want to um, try to change your desire when you're in an emotional state. Like right. That. And you know, it's interesting because we actually have a few experiential ex- activities that we do within my community and some mm-hmm. are best served a little bit further along the, the healing process, some earlier. And one, it just reminded me from what you said, it's a transformative experience. And it's where it's the point where you are able to see any gains from that experience early on. You're, you know, there's way too much anger and resentment and bitterness. But as you move through it, as your healing starts to progress, you actually can see, you know, what have I learned? What have I gained? What will I never allow again? What are the, uh, you know, new skills I have? What are the benefits that I see? So definitely it can happen, but, but for sure you, you want to, you just want to make sure that you do that when the time is right. And with somebody who knows what they're doing, that's what we do within our community. Okay. Um, so that was five emotions. What's number six? Ethics. Oh, okay. Talk uh, to us about so- ethics. Yeah, so ethics are rules you follow to optimize or maximize your growth without hurting anybody else. 
Mm-hmm. So there are two types of ethics. Now, I, I made these up, but um, I, I think they'll probably hopefully stick in the community in the future. Uh, so positive ethics and negative ethics. Mm-hmm. Uh, negative ethics are basically don't hurt people. Mm-hmm. And positive ethics are do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason why I separate between the two is because most laws and rights and so forth that are set by governments are negative ethics, right? Don't hurt people. Mm-hmm. Now, we're, right. you know, a lot of uh, governments are dabbling in positive ethics, like help other people and sort of thing. Um, but generally people go, hey, look, you can't really tell people what to do as long as they're not hurting anybody else is generally what people start to react to. But that being said, then the positive ethics, this is uh, where you might find either individual ethics where, hey, I, you know, have a good work ethic. I work 10 hours a day, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not everyone has that same ethic. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't force your ethics onto somebody else. Um, But the whole point of ethics uh, in the first place is, well, what's the best way to achieve my goal? What's the best way to attain the growth that I want? And how do I make sure I do it without hurting anybody else? Because I live in a society where, you know, if you hurt someone else, they're going to want to hurt you back. So Mm -hmm. you don't want to do that. Yeah. Wonderful. You know, I remember teaching that to my kids. I have four kids. I mean, they're like, you know, 25 to 18 now. But I remember saying, um, when they asked me about ethics and, and just being just being a good person and, and integrity and these types of things, and I remember saying it so simply, it was do the right thing, even when no one is looking. <laughs> Very simple, but that's really it. Okay. Yeah. What's number seven? Support. Mm. Uh, so uh, growth by yourself is a lot more difficult and a lot more limiting than if you had multiple people. And I give all these cute examples like building pyramids or the Stonehenge or pick mm-hmm. a pick a cool accomplishment and imagine trying to do that yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember how, how heavy those uh, Stonehenge blocks are, but try to imagine to carry those you know, two ton blocks or whatever they were. Right, right. I think they were cut. They said they were, they were, they were dragged or carried or rolled uh, 300 miles or thousand miles or something. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, I imagine doing trying to do that yourself. Not going to happen. No. So, uh, it's the idea that it, with other people, uh, you can grow exponentially more than you could by yourself. And oh, that, that's that is super cool. so true. Yeah, and I love that you're bringing that up because uh, in the betrayal community, especially, support is crucial. And and the study that I did proved that we need support. But at a time where we need support the most, we're the least likely to seek it because mm-hmm. there's so much embarrassment, shame, everything. But everybody who's listening and watching, get over it because we need we need that support. Okay, <laughs> and uh, in a loving way. And eight. What's number eight? Uh, so again, credit goes to my wife for this. Cause I was like, I have seven. What are, is there anything missing? There's gotta be something. And she said, uh, choice. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone has a choice in life and that's, that's really important. They should, they should remind themselves of that. And so of course me being like defensive thinking, well, choice is embedded in all these other seven things. And I was like, eventually I came around. I was like, no, actually you're absolutely right. Plus it's a good way to end the book because it helps people take action, right? Take, take the choice. Uh, but choice is, um, your ultimate capability. If there's one ultimate capability you have, it's that. Now there are things in this world you can't control and there are things in this world you can. And so if you do the best you can to make the right choices to improve what you can control, that is what your destiny is. Um, So forget about the stuff that you can't control. Right. And, And I love that because there are so many things out of our control, but the things that are it's important to feel like we're grabbing the reins of control on the things that we have control over. Otherwise, life feels completely chaotic and just crazy. What do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap up? Um, so I would, if I had one recommendation is that it would be to um, make sure that you uh, do the best you can to break down your emotions into those desires, beliefs, and experiences and just say, well, you know, wh- why do I feel this way? Um, truly try, try to understand it and dissect it in a way that helps you to then be constructive in responding to it. Um, because speaking of that choice piece, 
you can't control how people act to you but you can control how you respond to it. You control how you move forward with it. And so uh, be the best per version of yourself that you can be. Try to continue to make yourself better. Uh, even if people aren't uh, going to you know, do the same thing for you or do the same thing for themselves, um, that doesn't mean that, therefore, you should go and be self-destructive or uh, uh, vengeful or whatever. Um, so do the best you can to, to take care of yourself. Wonderful. And it's true. People are acting from their current level of consciousness. You know, I think it was Maya Angelou who said, if we knew better, we'd do better. So, uh, you know, with, with that, just we always have to up our game and just do our best. Where do we go to learn more about you? Sure. So I have a website, yourmeetinginlife.com. And I also have a bunch of social media. Most of them are at Life the Book. Although if I couldn't get that one, uh, it might be the Meaning of Life or meaning, the Meaning of Life book, something like that. And we'll have everything in the show notes. I want to thank you so much for your, the wisdom that you shared. I love these, uh, these, these eight principles. And it's, it's really a great, a great look at um, who we are and how we can show up even better. So uh, I know you shared a lot. And, uh, uh, the, the audience is just, is just going to gain so much from what you share with us today. So thank you. Thank you. I love those eight concepts Nathaniel shared. And once again, it shows how when we search for the meaning of our experiences, we find it and often so much more. Stay in touch with Nathaniel by going to yourmeaninginlife.com and we'll have all of his information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway, the eight concepts Nathaniel shared, which are one, growth, two, experiences, three, desire being the driving force for life, four, beliefs, five, emotions, six, ethics, seven, support, eight, choice. So there you have it. Those eight categories serve as containers to where you'll find life's greatest questions and answers. Of course, if you have a few questions about some symptoms you may be experiencing, take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz, which you can find at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And have you checked out the PBT Institute membership community? Imagine everything you'd ever need to become your physical, mental, emotional best community, support, certified coaches and practitioners you could schedule time with, daily classes on all kinds of interesting topics, curated experts teaching advanced strategies in the areas of health, mindset, spirituality, personal development. Imagine the most friendly, welcoming, and supportive place to become your best all online. Nothing like this exists, and I am so excited to welcome you. Go to thepbtinstitute.com forward slash join to learn more. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time, and here's to your breakthrough.